Uh, on our shirts, if you notice our shirts uh, that we sell uh, on the back of them, uh, there's a statement down across the top of it, and it's in Greek, and it says, Doulos Christos Iesus, and what that means is a uh, slave of the Messiah Jesus. And it really, we put it up, I put it up there to really uh, conversation starter. You know, what does that mean on the back of your shirt? And really to open up conversation, to be able to explain to them uh, what our life is and, and who we are in Christ and um, what that's all about. But up below that, there's two verses that I placed on, on there that really, I think, speak to what takes place in the ministry of U-Turn for Christ. And what I did is I put them in the first person. And so, uh, and it's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And the way it reads on the back of the shirt is, I have presented my body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is my reasonable service. I will not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind, that I may prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. And so I really think that represents what takes place at U-Turn for Christ. The guys come in here, and you really got to just surrender your whole life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then we really focus on the teaching of the Word of God, that it might transform their minds, and they'll be able to prove what that good and perfect will of God is through their life. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to look at and look at it a little bit deeper those two verses of Romans 12, 1 and 2. When we look at that, that passage, we can really see it as an oath, you know, a, an oath that we make, something that we purpose within our hearts that we are going to do, that we're going to lay our lives on the altar of God as a living sacrifice and allow him to do with it as he wishes. Um, when we look at uh, the book of Romans, the way Paul usually does when he writes is that he'll give uh, the doctrinal uh, element of his writing first, and then he finishes off with practical application. And so we see in the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 11, really de deal with a doctrine and really sets the stage for why we are to apply the things that he has set forth. And so when we look at the book of Romans, in the first uh, three chapters, uh, we see the uh, need for God's righteousness. Um, he, he lays out the condemnation of the Gentiles, the condemnation of the Jews, and then the condemnation that the whole world is in. And then he goes on, and then from chapter 3 to chapter 8, we begin to see the provision of God's righteousness, and which is the provision of justification. He begins to teach us that we've been justified, and that is God's imputed righteousness into us. Then we goes on, and then we see the provision of sanctification, and that is God's imparted righteousness. And then we see the provision of God's glorification, and that's God's completed righteousness in us. And then from 9, 10, and 11, he focuses on the Jews, and he talks about that. And then when we get to chapter 12, he begins to give us the practical way to apply those truths that he has given us in the first 11 chapters. And so Paul starts out in chapter 12, and he says, I beseech you, therefore. That word beseech is an interesting word. Um, and when I looked it up, I, I like to do word studies and kind of figure out what it was written in the original language. And uh, that word is the, the Greek word parakaleo. And it's kind of similar to the word paraclete that we find uh, used for the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside us to encourage us, to exhort us. Well, here we're seeing that Paul is encouraging and exhorting uh, the believer, us, to therefore 
present our bodies as a living sacrifice. He says, I want to encourage you. I call upon you. I exhort you to do this. Why? Because of the mercies of God. Because of all the things that he has laid out to us in those first 11 chapters. What has he laid out to us? He's laid out to us God's justification. He's laid out to us that we have been justified. That our sin account is no longer going to be held against us. That Christ died on the cross for our sins and no longer we condemned. But we have been justified in him. He talks about the sanctification process. The process that we've been sanctified. That we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Guiding and directing us. Then he shows the plan, the mercy of glorification, that we will one day be glorified. I love one of the verses in chapter 8. It says that the present sufferings of this time cannot account with the glory that will be revealed in us. That truth is so powerful. And because of these things that God has done for us, because of these truths and and doctrinal truths that uh, Paul has laid out in the book of Romans, He tells us that we are to lay our lives down on the altar of God. Because of the love that God has for us and He's doing all these things for us, it's just reasonable that we would offer our lives back to Him. The Bible tells us that we love Him because He first loved us. And our love for Him constrains us to give ourselves and our possessions to Him in sacrificial service. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that is, that if one died for all, then all died and he died for all, that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Because of what God has done for us, Our lives no longer belong to us. It belongs to him. We offer our lives right back to him. And it's not something we do by constraint. It's something we do willingly. It's something we do because we know of what he has done for us. The truth that, man, we have been set free from our sin. The fact that one day he will glorify himself in us. Those truths are so powerful that we're just want to lay our lives back at him. It's all his. Everything he has done for us, he deserves that. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We are to present our bodies to God to be used of him as he sees fit. We are to place our our bodies on the altar to be at his disposal. I remember when I came into U-Turn for Christ, I, I was pretty much a wreck. Um, my life was a mess. My family's life was a mess. Everything was a mess. And when I came into the ministry, I remember God revealing himself to me in, a, in a, such a powerful way. And I remember him knowing him, he was the answer and uh, realizing that uh, because of all that he had done for me, that I had to give it all back to him. Now, I, had, I didn't know anything. I had nothing going on with my life. I had no skills at anything. And, uh, and I remember uh, praying 
I was like, God, what do you want me to do next? You know, what's, what's the next plan? What, where do you want me to go? And uh, I remember I had heard about fasting. And I, I fasted one day, and I prayed, and I was like, Lord, I need an answer. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I, I have no idea. And I'm 24 years old, you know. And uh, I remember I fasted and prayed, and God answered that prayer real quickly. Um, I remember that night, one of the overseers came down into the bunkhouse and woke me up. And he asked me, because the, the head overseer wanted to talk to me. And I went upstairs, and I, and I talked to the head overseer, and he asked me the same question. So, so what are you going to do? What do you want to do? I said, I, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever. I said, I know one thing. I want to learn the scriptures. I, I want to learn more about God. And, and at that time, I was like, I, I would like to be a missionary. I would like to, to, to go places and, and serve God. And uh, I remember he told me, he goes, there was a, an opportunity at that time uh, if I was to finish first and second phase that they would send me to Bible college on a scholarship. And to me, that was a direct answer from God, exactly what he had me to do. And so I spent the next eight months of fulfilling my uh, obligations to the ministry and then went off into Bible college. Uh, and then from then on forward, it was all about him and what he would have for me to do. I laid my life on the altar. It, was, it wasn't about me wanting to go seek my own desires, but it was all about whatever God would have for me to do. When we look in the Old Testament, the animal sacrifices were presented to God and were then physically slain. They were, they were, they were killed. But when we present our bodies to God, and they are not physically slain, but are spiritually slain. That is, they are, or we are, to put death to our flesh. We're to physically put our flesh to death. We're to crucify the flesh that we might live in the spirit. We are to present both ourselves and our bodies to the Lord as a sacrifice. But the presentation of ourselves should precede the presentation of our bodies. When we look in the Old Testament burnt offering, it typified the sacrifice of oneself. But that preceded an Old Testament meal offering. And in the meal offering, that typified the sacrifice of one's possessions. Everything needs to be given back to God. All of it, our bodies, our possessions, everything, it all belongs to him. Romans 6.13 tells us, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. No longer are we to present our members, our body, to the things of the flesh, Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, those things are no longer, but we're to present our body as an instrument of righteousness, doing the things of God, walking in the Spirit, having the fruits of the Spirit be evident in our life. First Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So often, over and over again, we see in Scripture that you not belong to yourself, that you belong to God. That He is the one that is to call shots in your life now. He is the one that's to guide and direct you. You are to lay down your life for Him just as if 
or just as he laid down his life for you and I. When we lay our lives down, it's a once for all present, um, we, we are to once and for all pre- present our bodies as a continuous living sacrifice. We do it, we present our body, but then we are to continually to live in that living sacrifice daily as we live our lives for him. When we think about the Old Testament sacrifices and we, and we look at them, the Old Testament sacrifices had to be perfect. There couldn't be any spot or blemish or anything. Uh, they had to be perfect. But when, when we think of our bodies, my body's not perfect. It's full of sin. It's full of disgust. We, anybody who deals with their flesh knows that it's constantly dealing with having to crucify our flesh, put those things to get death. But our bodies are considered holy. Why? Because of our positional sanctification in the Lord, because we are dwelt indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That makes us presentable. Our imperfect bodies are acceptable sacrifices. Why? Because they are offered in connection with Christ. That's what makes them acceptable. It's because of him. Because of all that he has done, our bodies are now an acceptable sacrifice filled by the Holy Spirit to be laid at the altar for him. All, all blemishes and imperfections are covered by his perfection. Ephesians 1.6, to the praise and glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Colossians 1.22, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of the light. In the view of what God has done for us, it is only reasonable that we should yield our bodies in service to him. We are first informed of what God in grace has done for us. Then the appeal is made that we serve him in appreciation of his gifts of grace. Our service to God is to be that of a loving son, not that of an unwilling servant. If you're reluctant to give your life back to God after realizing everything that he has done for you, all the love that he has shown you by delivering you, the persecutor, the, the condemnation that has been brought onto us by sin, it's only reasonable that we would offer our lives back to him. We should not be reluctant to be able to do this. If we trust God in our salvation, we should trust him in our life. We should trust him to lead us in what is best for us. So often I, I see guys that come in and, and I, people in general that they want the salvation, but they don't want the sanctification. They, they don't want to, they want the fire insurance, like I, how I like to put it, but they don't want to live, for life, they live their lives for Christ. They don't want to give it all back to him. But that's what he deserves is everything that he has done for us. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. If you love him, then you are going to follow what he says. You're going to keep his commandments. All of our service is to be a voluntary thanks unto him, a thanks offering unto him for what he has done 
for us. Then we see the application part of uh, verse 2. The application is both negative and positive when we look at it. It says that be not conformed to this world and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That, that word world, it speaks of this present world with its cares, its temptations, its desires. It's the idea of an evil, uh, both moral and physical, uh, being everywhere. It's this, it's this evil generation. It's this evil period of time that we live in. We are not to look like, think like, talk like, or act like the people of this world. We are not to be conformed to this world. So often we're seeing today, though, we're, we're beginning to see the church begin to drift and look more like the world than more like Christ. With this idea that if we become like the world, we'll lead them to Christ. We don't need to become like the world to lead them to Christ. We need to be like Christ that Christ might draw them unto himself. We never want to lower our standards in order to somehow think we're going to be able to benefit somebody by drawing them in that way. We look at things that are going on in the world, and, I, and you look at a lot of the, the denominations and, and things that were, were right on at one time and how we're seeing them begin to bring in homosexual marriage and, and, and these different things that are clearly contrary to Scripture. Clearly, the Bible says that we are not to partake in these things. But we're beginning to see the church enter what we call, what the Bible calls, an apostate state. Now, it's up to us that God always has his remnant. We need to be part of that remnant. We need to be the ones that, that stay true to what the Scripture says and never waver on who we are in Christ and how we represent him. It says, do not be conformed to the world. I like what... Uh, a guy I read by, his name is Reverend W. Burroughs. And he talks about the world, and it says that it's a, it's, it is fallen human nature acting itself out in the human family, fashioning the framework of human society in accordance with its own tendencies. It's the reign of the carnal mind. It is also everything that is an antagonism with God. I thought that was a, a good uh, explanation of what it is. We know that the the God of this world, uh, in the Bible it tells us that Satan is the prince and power of the air. He's the one behind the scenes that's running this, running that show. Ephesians 2.2 says, In which you once walked according to this course of the world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. We no longer... Walk according to that. We no longer, no longer walk according to the course of this world. We are different people. We are Christians and filled by the Holy Spirit, living for Him. We see it even in the early church, though, with 
people in the church would drift from this truth. And I think of when Paul mentions somebody by name, and he mentions a guy by the name of Demas. And it says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. It's possible to drift and to love this world more than you love Christ. Be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to the time, but rather to eternity. It's so important for us not to have this temporal mindset of the here and now, what we can achieve here and now, but an eternal mindset, one that focuses on eternity, one that focuses on Christ, one that focuses on the glory that is going to be revealed in us in that day. It says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. And now we see the positive request. But be ye transformed. It's that word, and maybe some of you have heard it before. The word transformed is metamorpho. And what it means is where we get our word metamorphosis. That same word is used when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. That same word, he was metamorphosed. He was transfigured. It's the same thing that it speaks to us. We as Christians are to be metamorphosed or transformed. We are not to no longer be the person that we were before, but be transformed into that new person who is in Christ. Our conduct from the following the pattern of the people of this world to following the pattern of Christ. We are henceforth from this time of our conversion to think like, talk like, and walk like Christ. How do we do that? By the renewing of our mind. Our minds are to be renewed. How does that take place? By increased knowledge. By taking in the Word of God. By studying the Scriptures. Finding out who God is. How He acts. How He thinks. What He does. Ephesians 4.23 tells us, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Colossians 3.10, and put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created you. The more we increase our knowledge of Christ by reading the Bible, by listening to Bible studies, the more that we will begin to acquire the mind of Christ. The more that we acquire the mind of Christ, the more we begin to think like Christ, we begin to evaluate things like Christ, and then we begin to make judgments like Christ. From this new mind comes the new conduct, conduct conformed to the conduct of Christ. If we think like Christ, then we will eventually act like Christ. That's why I think the ministry of U-Turn for Christ is so powerful. We focus on the Word of God. That's it. Morning time until evening, we have our face in this word that we may begin to learn about him and who he is and that he might transform us into who he wants us to be. But that all takes place by our laying our lives on the altar, by putting ourselves on the altar of Christ and allow him to do with us as he wishes. From this new mind comes new conduct, conduct conformed to the conduct of Christ. 
we think like Christ, we will eventually act like Christ. So we are changed into the moral image of Christ as we feast on Christ as he is revealed in his word. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What Paul is doing here is he's thinking back on a, a situation with Moses. When Moses was, went before the Lord and the glory of the Lord passed by him. And it talks about later on in Corinthians in that same passage earlier on, it, it talks about how that glory began to diminish and it would go away. The glory evident in Moses' face was a diminishing radiance. By contrast, in the face of the believers, God's ever-increasing glory. That glory increases. The believer's glory, like that of Moses, is a uh, reflection of the Lord's glory. But unlike Moses' transitory glory, a believer's glory is eternal. This is because of God's abiding presence through the Holy Spirit. The glory is the presence of salvation available in the new covenant, which is mediated by the Spirit, who leads us from justification through sanctification to glorification. As believers, we manifest the fruit of the Spirit, being transformed into His likeness. Christ's likeness is the goal of our walk. Our goal of our walk is that we may look like Christ. And He has given us everything to do that. The Bible tells us that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of our flesh. It's possible to be transformed and put on and represent the image of Christ. But it takes us putting our lives on the altar. The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, that we are to crucify the flesh, that we are to pick up our cross daily. That all of our personal wants, desires, uh, everything needs to be put at his feet and be given to him for him to choose what it is that he would have us to do. It's not up to us or for us to have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. Both feet need to be in him. Both feet need to be given over to him. First Peter chapter 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Indeed, you have tasted the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, a reject, um, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ given our lives back to him. Everything that he has done for us, it's only reasonable that we offer everything back to him. As we are transformed, our mind is made more like Christ. We become to approve and desire God's will and not our own will for our life. Then we discover that God's will is what good is good for us and that it pleases God and is complete in every way. It is all we need 
But only by being renewed spiritually can we discover, do, and enjoy the will of God. Two verses that say so much. So much there. Paul encourages all of us because of all that he has done for us. Are you willing to give everything back to him? The ministry of U-Turn for Christ, as the guys come in, in a sense, this makes it so much easier. Because most of the guys that come in have lost everything. They have nothing. We have, there's nowhere to go. And so all we have is him. And so our choice is pretty slim on what we are to do. It's pretty easy, just, you know, God, it's in your control now. Especially after being in the ministry and you taste that God is good, the transformation that takes place is amazing. Every guy that comes into the ministry uh, to watch who they are when they get there, to who God makes them when they leave, is completely amazing. If they are willing to stay at the feet of Jesus, to give their lives over to Jesus, to allow him to begin to transform their minds, begin to transform them into somebody who is like Christ. God is willing to do whatever, but we got to be willing to lay it down. Are you willing to lay it down? Am I willing to give it all up and trust Christ with my life? It's funny, I was talking with the guys earlier today, and um, I was talking about when I went to Bible college. I went to Bible college, and I just went there to, you know, because I wanted to learn the word more. I, I didn't plan on becoming a pastor or anything like that. I, I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't want to do it. Uh, when I got there, everybody in my class, I remember all the men were talking about all the churches they were going to go start, all this that they were going to go do, and I'm sitting there going, no way. I just come here to, to get the word, and then, you know, I'm going to go get a job and, because I don't like doing this. I don't like getting up and standing in front of people and, and, and sharing. I mean, this takes me laying my life on the altar to stand up here. Uh, and I remember early on that it gets so filled with so much anxiety and, and just, oh, man, it was just miserable. And God kept on having me do it. He kept on saying, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And I'm like, God, please just take away this anxiety. Please take away what I'm going through. And uh, never did. Just never did it. And I remember I had to come to a place in my heart that, no matter what, if this is what you want me to do, regardless of how I feel, regardless of the outcome, regardless of anything, then I'm going to be obedient to you because you have asked me to do it. No matter, it has nothing to do with me anymore. It has everything to do with him. That's tough. It's tough. The flesh don't want to do it. My flesh would rather have told Pastor Sean, nah, <laughs> I'm not feeling good that weekend. But that's not the case. I, I, I have to be obedient to my Lord. And you would think after, you know, 20 years, 15 years, uh, that it would get easier. And it doesn't get easier. But God still asked me to do it. And I still have to be faithful. I have to lay my life on the altar. Not my will, but your will be done. God's going to ask us all to do things sometimes that 
maybe it isn't going to be the first thing on our list of what we desire to do. But in him asking to do this, who's going to get the glorification? He's going to be glorified. He will be the one that's glorified. And what is the purpose of our life? To glorify him. That people might be drawn towards him by using our lives. I want my life to glorify God. I want to lay my life down for him that he may be glorified in all that I do. And sometimes that's going to take doing things that you may not be comfortable doing. may not be the first thing on your list. But he will meet you there. He will carry you through. And he will be glorified. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Livingstone Calvary Chapel. Father, we just pray, God, that you would give us the strength to do what you've called us to do. Lord, that we would willingly lay our lives on the altar. And God, that you would lead us, you would guide us, and you would direct us. Father, may we never be like Demas and love the world more than you. But God, may we pursue you with our whole heart. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.